Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and joining me today in the hot seat, Ayaz Akhtar from CNET. Ayaz, my good friend, how are you? I'm good. The seat I'm in is not too hot yet. Uh, maybe by the end it might be because I might be panicking. Yeah, we're um, we're going to do the episode I look forward to all year long, which is the episode where I stick my neck out and usually have a guest also sticking his or her neck out to make predictions about what will happen in the following 12 months. And we're recording this episode on December 17th, 2015, although it's airing in January 2016. So I just want to throw the regular caveat out there. Some of the stuff we predict might already be the past by the time you hear it. <laughs> yeah, so if if some of these things come true, we can just say, we knew it. We knew this was going to happen, and we didn't have any insider information whatsoever. These are guesses. Yeah. Yeah. No, these are all wild stabs in the dark. And I, I also told Ayaz this before we started recording. I decided that I'm going to make bigger predictions than I have in the past. Because, for one, uh, playing it safe hasn't helped me. I I do not have a great record. <laughs> so if you're going to go, go big. That's right. Go big or go home, right? And I... I I can't go home. They won't let me. So I have to go big. Uh, so we're going to talk about some predictions and then maybe, you know, question those predictions, justify them, maybe even change our minds based upon the conversation we have. And I'm going to go first. And my first prediction is probably if it's, it might not be the craziest one I have. It might be the second craziest one I have, but my prediction is that in 2016, Microsoft will buy Yahoo's core business. Now, for people who have been paying attention to the news, you've heard the rumors that the board of directors have been thinking of selling off Yahoo's core business, which hasn't really been profitable in quite some time, and holding on to its stake in uh, Alibaba instead of being this kind of content-slash-search-engine thing that Yahoo has blossomed into or exploded into, however you want to think about it. So they're talking about the possibility of selling off that core business, but who would be in the market for that? It can't be Google, or at least I don't think it could be, because Google already has such a dominant hold in search. I don't think anyone would allow that to happen. It would become an, more more of a monopoly than it already is. So could it possibly possibly be Microsoft? I mean, Microsoft and Yahoo have teamed up in the past. Bing was the the search engine powering Yahoo search for a while. It's not like they had the best relationship ever, but I could see that being a possibility. Now, Ayaz, what about you? Do you think I'm completely off base here? Do you think there's some other entity that's way more likely uh, or is it? Just that Microsoft would never even touch Yahoo with a ten-foot pole. You know, I think I think Microsoft might be the wrong uh, suitor for this because they do have Bing, and Bing this year actually made revenue. And so instead of being a, a, a loser like it's been for years, it actually did something good. And Bing is so 
what's the word, baked into Windows 10, that I don't think they need to muck with that too much. Also, Yahoo's got a lot of email kind of situations. They've got Tumblr. They've got Flickr. And Microsoft has a lot of those things already. So to buy those core assets, I think it would be duplicative. I'm thinking who might be a better suitor. It might be somebody like uh, maybe a wireless carrier, maybe somebody like uh, Apple, if they wanted to have a better search when it comes to their own internal search because they have such a beef with Google right now still, even though it's a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But maybe even a like a video company who needs a better search and content farm because between Tumblr, between uh, maybe even – this is going to sound nuts. I wasn't even thinking about this before we started the show, but maybe even Facebook because they could use a better search algorithm in general when it comes to – Mining all of the data they have, if they could use Tumblr as, a, as an option, if they could have Flickr, if they have this infrastructure that already exists, why not tack it on? That's those are great points. I mean, you make a very strong case for for other very uh, realistic entities that could come into play here and purchase up those those uh, that core business. If in fact Yahoo does sell it, as of the time we're recording this, that has not actually happened yet. But uh, could it could have at least. The ball could be rolling by the time this episode goes live. Uh, those those are excellent points. I'm going to stick by my Microsoft prediction because that way when uh, it becomes true and I review this episode <laughs> uh, in at the end of 2016, I'm going to sound like a genius. Well, the uh, other thing is uh, Yahoo's board mentioned that this whole potential plan with a spinoff Yahoo's core business, it could take up to a year yeah. to make that happen. So maybe even more. So if it does happen, let's say January 2017, I'm going to give you that one. OK, that's fair. Yeah, that's nice. I, that's very, very uh, generous of you to allow me an extra month, particularly since we're recording this one a month early. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we should be doing this in like a fiscal year. So maybe even till April. Who knows? Because there's no rules unless we make up the rules right now. That's true. Uh, well, I, I will say this, that that if an entity purchases Yahoo's core businesses before the end of 2016, that entity will most definitely be Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> That, luck with that. that way, that way I've planted my flag. And if it's not, and it's one of the other entities that I has mentioned, that's going to be great content for my wrap up show at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. All right. So what is your first uh, prediction? Okay. I, I, unlike you, I'm going to start off small, but a little <laughs> crazy. Uh, I'm going to go 3D printers are going to become way more mainstream next year. And this is tied into this big push that I've seen in camera technology, Intel has this RealSense camera. And what it allows people to do is, or allows computers to do is to sense things in the 3D space. I'm like, well, people are like, what's the use of that? Why would you care about being able to see 3D space with, I don't know, your cell phone camera or the camera in your laptop? It's so you can like literally hold up an object and it's almost acting like a 3D scanner. And so why would you ever need any of this stuff? For 3D printing, that's what I'm saying. And a company like Amazon, so this is all very, very 3D printing. Amazon could introduce its own 3D printer that they would sell to you at a discount. So then you could buy schematics from them and print out stuff right at your home, like Amazon Prime Instant. So faster than a two-hour delivery window, although it might take it a couple hours to print out something large because 3D printers aren't super fast. Do you think 3D printers in the home would be mainstream next year? No. Um, let me, let me justify that instead of just saying no and then moving on. My next prediction, no. Uh, the, the reason why I say no, it's, it's not because 
I don't see the potential there. I absolutely do see the potential. I've also had experience with 3D printers. Like I, we have one in the office. I have worked with it. These are finicky machines and you have to have all the things working just right for it. To, you know, you have to have the heating plate at the right temperature so that the uh, plastic adheres to it, but doesn't melt. Uh, you have to have the extruder at the right temperature so that it, the plastic flows at the, the proper viscosity. There are a lot of different things that it's, it's not as user friendly as your basic plug and play printer is. There's a lot more, uh, variety going on there that that you have to pay really close attention to if you want to get the results you hope for. So my prediction would be my my counter proposal to your prediction would be we'll see a lot more 3D printing houses where you would send a 3D printing job to one of these houses where there are people who have worked with the stuff and specialized with it. And the prices are going to come down because the actual equipment prices, the 3D printers themselves those prices will come down. So it won't be incredibly expensive for you to send a 3D print job to a local uh, group. It might not even be like a big company. It might be a small group of of students who work, who go to a, a local technology school, for example. I'm using very specific examples because that's happening here in Atlanta. We've got a whole bunch of uh, student-run businesses that are using 3D printers, and the students are all affiliated with Georgia Tech. And so uh, I have actually used one of these services just this past year. I had a, a, a special mask printed for a cosplay outfit. And uh, and so it was a 3D printed mask, and and it was, it was great. But I don't see that slipping into the consumer market. I think there's going to be more of a prosumer market uh, more so than there is now, I think it's going to be bigger than it has been, but I don't think it's going to get to the point where your average Joe is going to go out there and buy a 3D printer and be satisfied with the way it works to the point where we're going to see this kind of marketplace spring up uh, on the level that you are suggesting. Okay, you're making some really good arguments, and I'm going to harken back to my weasel language. It'll become more mainstream. You're you're totally right, by the way. 3D printers are finicky, finicky machines right now. It's not plug-and-play like an inkjet, which has you pulling out your hair for different reasons. Uh, But when it comes to this kind of 3D printing world, I I agree with you with the idea of 3D printing houses. I believe Staples has some services where you can do this. I'm sure those will be the faster, more ornate or better quality stuff you can get. But I think I still think next year we're going to have not the dot matrix style printers where you're like, this is kind of janky. It doesn't really work, but it's the beginning days. We've already had the beginning days of these 3D printers being low cost. I think we're going to have more consumer-friendly versions. Now, they might be for prosumers. They might be a little bit expensive, but I think it's finally going to make its break because it's had years to actually mature, right. and it still isn't dead. And I think the idea of people could have of, wait a second, I can print a case from my phone or I can add different a Lego piece that's missing. I think these ideas are becoming more mainstream, so that might drive a demand. But I said more mainstream. Not like it's going to be like the the laser printer you have. So, so you around. could you could argue the market will double, but if the market's like five thousand units to ten thousand exactly. units, that's not that if, big a deal. If if these statistics continue, disco will be the best. <laughs> it'll be the only music of twenty twenty. 
10 in the past, <laughs> I know. But anyway, that's okay. That's a Simpsons reference, folks. We're on another, we're on another show where we constantly are striving to be the best podcast of 2014. So we're all about living in the past. We'll get there. Yeah. Yep. One of these days. All right. Well, that's, that's, a, that's interesting. I, I, with that caveat, I can, I can lean more toward supporting your, your, uh, prediction because, uh, it definitely, creates more perspective on what you were getting at. Um, and, and I agree it is Weasley. So my next one is uh, probably the safest of my predictions, which is that Apple is going to start offering up more products that at least on first glance are going to seem further removed from the vision of Steve jobs. So an example of this in our, in, in this past year, was the iPad Pro and the the pencil peripheral, which is essentially a stylus, which Steve Jobs famously dismissed upon the uh, the introduction of the iPad. He essentially said, "Who wants to deal with a stylus?" and had had pretty much all but completely dismissed the the notion entirely. And now Apple has one. And uh, whenever this happens, people point out. You know, that's not really what Steve Jobs said, or that's not how Steve Jobs would do it. Uh, my argument is that this year we're, we're going to see more things that are truly a step away from what Steve Jobs, quote unquote, would have done. Uh, and that's not a bad thing because I don't think a company can continually hold itself accountable to the ideals of someone who is no longer around. Hmm. So I will be one of those finicky people because here's, here's what I remember the, the introduction of this, this whole stylus nonsense with Apple and Steve Jobs in particular. He said that if you had a stylus, basically, then they're doing it wrong. Not that it was at the time the stylus was a requirement of smartphones and you shouldn't need this. A stylus at this point is an accessory. So theoretically, it's not against it, but there are a lot of design choices these days that are people going, Steve wouldn't approve that look because that looks like some kind of horrible compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, like we, in my notes, I mentioned the iHump battery case, which, uh, you came across a different name for that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. BGR Boy Genius Report had the nickname Hunchback of Cupertino, which I found quite creative and it's quite accurate for the design of the Apple smart battery case cover, whatever the heck it's called. Yeah. And that's, if you haven't seen it, it creates this bulge that sticks out of the back of the case. And so it, it really destroys the profile of the iPhone. And I have a feeling that that would have been something that would have stuck in Steve Jobs's craw, so to speak. Destroys or makes you appreciate the slim profile without better. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just playing devil's advocate there. I, I agree with you. I think the styling on this, on certain objects are not exactly as beautiful. That could be actually a an issue for Johnny Ive, who's in charge of software and hardware at this point. So maybe he's stretched a little thin. Yeah. That could be a, an actual structural issue within Apple, but that's a whole other thing. I, and as we're talking, there's a whole, I believe, a restructuring of Apple and new COO and a whole bunch of things going on. Yeah, I think I think the real thing is that Steve Jobs is not walking around uh, Apple headquarters inspiring terror in all of his employees. <laughs> like, when you think... I could get fired on any given day. <laughs> it creates a different environment. It might stop certain designs from even getting past 
the drawing board, like, no, this isn't going to work versus going, okay, wait a second. We do have these batteries that are shaped a certain way. Maybe we can repurpose them and get a good markup because in, in the world of business, accessories make Usually there's a higher profit margin on accessories versus the actual sure. hardware, although Apple's famous for making very high profits on their hardware. But yeah, I, I, th- I could see things potentially maybe even that mythical. Nobody wants to have Gorilla Arm, this idea of the iPad and the MacBook finally merging because I believe even Tim Cook says we're not going to do that. Then again, Apple's quite good. It's in the past saying we're never going to have this product do that thing, like an iPod with video. Nobody wants an iPod with video. So they made an iPod with video. So th- th- there's no, we're never going to make a tablet. We saw how that worked out. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because they said we're not going to do something that they won't do it and say, oh, this is why we waited because it's much better now. Yeah. Also, they'll say, now you want it. <laughs> they, and they wave their hand and right. you're like, yes. Yeah, exactly. You, you, they do the force mind trick on you. All right. So what's your next one? Okay. Wearables will be better. This is another incremental kind of thing. I think that we've had a real interesting kind of live beta test of smartwatches the past couple of years. We had the Android Wear hitting the market ahead of, ahead of the Apple Watch. Apple Watch original version being a little bit clunky with a UI that people had to learn, which is very not intuitive at first, this digital crown kind of thing. Samsung's got the Gear S2 with a really cool kind of circular iPod-like circle um, interface wheel. I think next year is the year that, we're, that all of those small issues with UI, all the issues with battery life, the true actual application of why on earth would you want a screen on your wrist, that stuff's actually going to be figured out next year. And there's going to be a compelling reason to have a smartwatch. And while I'm saying wearables in general will get better, I'm thinking the fitness devices like the Fitbits, the Misfits, all those little things, they will go maybe more and more simple where these devices can handle just the fitness tracking and it talks to either your watch or talks to your phone and it's not necessarily trying to be it's one true thing. I don't think the the Fitbits surge, those kind of smartwatch hybrid things are going to do well. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking the fitness trackers get dumber, smartwatches get better. I gotcha. So that way you end up having a more of a low cost market for your fitness trackers because presumably they won't be as expensive. They'll be simpler devices. So if all you wanted was something to help track your activity, then you get one of those and you're spending less money per unit. But if you want something that has a lot more uh, applicability in various situations, then you might go for more of a, a higher end thing, a smartwatch that incorporates those features as well as other ones, it's the middle ground where you're starting to see that kind of filter out because there won't be as much, uh, you know, why, why go for something that's kind of good if you could go for a smartwatch? Yeah. And one of the things I've seen this year in 2015 was there's like a device called the move. It's this little disc that you can have on your wrist and it can determine whether you're, how you're moving. But what they recommend is if you have two, it can really do these excellent metrics for things like a boxing exercise or workout. So maybe instead of these devices being all-in-one wonders, it's that they're really just sensors that you have on yourself. So you realize, okay, the smartwatch is great because it's the actual brain versus your phone because you don't want to carry your phone necessarily. They're getting larger. It's very awkward to keep a phone strapped to your arm. I've seen people run with them. I think that's really odd. But a smartwatch acting as this intermediary brain for all these other sensors to get actual accurate data because, okay, were you erasing furiously with your Apple Pencil or were you doing jumping jacks? 
does the device know? Yeah. I don't know. Right. So that's that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think, um, I think 2016, we will see that sort of improvement. Uh, I hope we will see smartwatches that are compelling enough where even people like myself, like I, I own a Pebble. I bought a Pebble early on and I did it so knowing the limitations of the, the technology. I knew what it was capable of doing and I knew what it wasn't going to do. And I was fine with that. But for a lot of people, when they get into the idea of buying a smartwatch, they don't really know what the watch can and can't do and uh, what it's like to actually use one. And so you get this disconnect from what they were expecting and what they actually get when they purchase one. I would like to see that gap decrease in 2016. Uh, my hope is that by 2017, you can pair something like a smartwatch with another device that's akin to the Microsoft HoloLens and then get holographic images displayed above the watch when you look down because the two are working together and then you get like the 3D representation of someone's head as they talk to you a la Superman. Of course, that's what you would want to do when you're walking on the sidewalk with floating and disembodied heads. Look, if I'm not paying attention to whether or not the sign says walk or don't walk already, it's not going to kill me faster. <laughs> as long as there's some kind of collision detection <laughs> yeah, sensor I, that you have. I can just imagine pops- text popping up that says, you're going to die now. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> it's like, would you like to... Close all your accounts right now or deliver your password over to your next account. <laughs> right. You have one or two options. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is the, this is the death notice. <laughs> Maybe I should get out of the street. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I always advocate for the responsible use of technology. I am one of those people who I will not have my phone out as I'm walking across the street. If I'm on the sidewalk, maybe, but definitely not on the street. And that being said, even as someone who has occasionally used a phone on the sidewalk, yes, I have collided with a telephone pole. It has happened. I have yet to do that. I have gotten very close to telephone poles, far too close, but not in any rapid speed. Well, that's good. That's good. Let's hope that that prediction, like that, that, or that trend continues through 2016. I predict, I predict because I said that on this podcast, I'm going to smack into something at the end of the day. <laughs> All right. Well, here's another super crazy prediction. Now, my last one was an Apple prediction that was pretty, you know, pretty modest. This one is crazy. And I, I have to admit, I am not the one who came up with this idea. I actually saw someone else. And I wish I had written down, but I saw someone else uh, pose this possibility. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. I have to include it, which is Apple will make a move to acquire Tesla. And the reason for that is that we know that Apple is interested in developing an electronic car, but it makes much more sense to purchase a company that has already made great headway into doing that, particularly if you can purchase the company that would already be your chief competitor once you enter that marketplace. If you can buy the name in electronic cars and use that as now, you know, this is what you own and now you can incorporate your technology directly into the next models, then that would be the way to go. Whether or not uh, Tesla would decide to allow for that to happen is a different question. But I think that that it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Apple will at least make a move to try and do that. 
Okay, so when you first said this, the first thought I had was, that's crazy. That's absolutely insane. And then I was thinking about Apple buying Beats, which also sounded crazy and absolutely insane. And they were the leader in this kind, not a leader, but they are a very well-known brand. And one of the things that Apple does over, or they had done for a long time was, do you take a product or a company, they buy it, and they basically consume it, and they become new Apple, instead of it being Beats by Dre and Tim Cook, you know? So mm-hmm. the thing about buying Tesla to me, what, what I find problematic with this idea is Tesla already has the name. So with Apple's purchase, if they bought this company, the rebranding aspect would be so difficult that they wouldn't do it. Maybe that's the unApple like move you're talking about where they're like, you know what? We just, we own Tesla and this, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Now we're just going to, we're going to continue to call it Tesla and not call it the iCar. The Tesla, it's a Tesla and Apple company. I just can't see that kind of styling when it comes to Apple because they're very, they're the top dog. They're not going to be like the secondary little logo somewhere else. Although what I, the second or third thought I had with this thing was, you know, I could see Apple either either Tim Cook or any of the board members of Apple becoming a board member of Tesla and having some kind of influence on how they do things and or a significant investment in the company, whereas they don't buy the company, but they do have a stake in it. So that way there is a future with them, a kind of partnership that Disney and Apple kind of had with Steve Jobs being at the time a shareholder, a major shareholder of each company. Or you had this idea where you had uh, – Eric Schmidt, who used to be on the board of Apple. There yep. was a lot of friendly information being passed along. To the, that- po- to the point where Schmidt ended up recusing himself and leaving the board because of uh, concerns about a conflict of interest. Exactly. And I think that would be the, maybe that's the kind of way Apple gets in really into the car business is not necessarily by being in the car business, but influencing a major company that is the most Apple-like of car manufacturers. Interesting. That, that, that sounds more realistic. Uh, I'm gonna stick with mine. Apple's gonna try and buy Tesla. I don't, I didn't say they will buy Tesla. I said they're gonna try to buy Tesla. <laughs> now you mean, you mean the motor company, right? Not just buy a Tesla? No, no, yeah, sure yeah exactly. Like, like, alright, whose, whose turn is it to drive the Tesla this week? <laughs> you get, employee of the month gets to drive the Tesla. Uh, no, I mean that they buy the company Tesla. Uh, or try to. Yeah, cause I, I think that that's a pretty crazy prediction myself. Uh, but it, in, in another sense, it makes perfect, it makes, it makes, it's logical because, why would you try and go into – would you just hope for your, your company's uh, – the perception of your company to, to push you to a successful competition with an already established, some might argue, equally iconic company? Um, I don't know. But I do know that Apple's getting close to being a $1 trillion company and they got some cash to burn. So, so why not go into a business that's – Dominated by a few companies. Well, especially as we get more and more toward uh, people leaning to uh, electric and alternative fuel vehicles. I mean, it it's it's going to be that's a market that's just going to grow. You know, there, there is there is some information to support this. Tesla did introduce its own iPhone uh, cases made of leather that is that is normally used for the car seats in Teslas. Mm. So right there, that's where this this. I was, comes I gotta say, I was really shocked when Apple didn't move to acquire Ed Hardy, which also made Apple cases. <laughs> you never know. 
That rumor that did happen. Pretty sure. Yeah, that will happen in 2019. All right, your your turn, Ayaz. Okay, my turn. Maybe equally crazy. Okay, Google's gonna go wireless for real this time. Right now, they do have Project Fi, which is this kind of MVNO where they are using some T-Mobile and Sprint networks combined with these devices and Wi-Fi. So it's this kind of like soft entry into the wireless world. They already have Google Fiber. I'm saying next year is the year Google either builds its own wireless infrastructure or just purchases a wireless carrier flat out so they have the infrastructure. None of this leasing nonsense, actually owning a wireless network that is fast enough to do what they want to do because they want to cover basically everywhere in internet so that you could use their services and they can learn information about you. That's that's one side. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see Google actually becoming a wireless carrier. What do you think? I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, you've already mentioned Project Fi, which uh, I, I was invited to be an early tester of that, and I ultimately decided not to. The only reason being that it would have required me to use my Google Voice number, and almost everyone knows my actual phone number, and very few people outside of my mom ever call me on my Google Voice number. <laughs> and just training the humans in my life to call a different number was going to be a problem. Um, but uh, I, I agree that the that's a distinct possibility. I wonder if it's the right move. I also wonder what that would do in the overall wireless marketplace, particularly the cellular marketplace, because I can imagine other carriers saying, well, we're going to, we're going to uh, put a real restriction on which Android phones we offer on our systems now. But th- that seems like that would almost be shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, where else are you going to go besides Apple to get really compelling handsets? Um, this, I think this could be an incredibly disruptive move. And it, it, it's certainly makes sense from, uh, the standpoint of where Google's moving right now, especially now that they've got, you know, their alphabet company. So Google can, can make these kind of potentially risky moves without affecting other, uh, branches of its business. I guess technically I should have said alphabet's going to do this because I don't know if Google, I guess Google Fiber is Google Fiber is still a part of Google. I don't, I don't have the exact, I don't have the org chart out. Right. The breakdown of, I know Google X is outside of Google now. It's research and development is a separate arm. And, uh, a couple of the companies it acquired are in separate arms as well. Uh, I, they might just create a new subsidiary for this sort of thing. I think it could work. I think the thing with Google, they, they are very aggressive with the rollout of fiber, but there's areas that is hard, they're very difficult to get into. And with wireless, there is, this barrier decreases. So this idea of like Google will, will be giving Wi-Fi or they'll be giving some kind of cellular connection is physically easier. So they don't have to worry about, okay, are we going to get permits? Do we have to shut this part down to make this happen? Especially if they buy a pre-existing carrier like either a T-Mobile or Sprint's just sitting around. You know, Sprint's just sitting in the corner, just wondering, is one day somebody going to make something of them? They're just but, just uh, waiting to be asked to the dance. Well, they're at the dance. They're just in the corner by the punch bowl. Well, they're be waiting to be asked to dance at the dance. How about ah, that? Okay, because yeah. T-Mobile's out on the floor, like basically throwing down. T- T-Mobile's slam dancing is what T-Mobile is doing. <laughs> it's got its, it's it's like a one man mosh pit, and you're like, why? It's like John, just like move aside. It's it's a polka. You don't have to go thrashing. 
<laughs> okay, so there's a chance of that. What's what's your next one? So the next one, this one is one where Ayaz and I both have predictions about the same general type of technology, but we have slightly different takes on it. And this is all about uh, virtual reality and to uh, a lesser extent, augmented reality. My prediction, and I, I actually really hope I'm wrong about this. This is one of those where I'm like, I'm making the prediction, but I would love to be wrong. But my prediction is that VR is ultimately going to fizzle out in 2016 in the consumer market. And the reason I say that is that I think it may have taken too long for the consumer uh, models of really compelling VR headsets to actually make it to the shelves. We don't even have them yet. Like the, the not the really big names, not we don't have an, an Oculus, like a, a branded Oculus system beyond something that turns your phone into a VR headset. We don't have the Morpheus, you know, we don't have these things apart from some early builds, developer builds where you can you can get something, but you already know it's a it's essentially a prototype. It's not the final form of whatever the consumer model will be. And my fear is that by the time it comes out, all the excitement that they built up from the the crowdfunding and the marketing that happened over the last three years will have completely died out so that VR becomes a non-starter. Either stuff never makes it to market because uh, analysts decide, hey, we're going to lose money on this. It doesn't make any sense for us to do it. Or it'll make it to market, but it'll have very low adoption due to the high cost of entry. We expect most of these devices are going to cost in the hundreds of dollars. So some of them may be just as expensive as the hardware they are paired with. In the case of consoles, for example, um, I think augmented reality has a better chance because it has a wider application than virtual reality does. And honestly, I think there's more excitement about augmented reality uh, and the, the potential for it than there is for virtual reality. Although it should be said, augmented reality could follow the same path as VR and ultimately fizzle out too. So that's my prediction that VR is not going to make it in 2016. Even if the devices actually come out, there's not going to be widespread adoption. There won't be enough support from developers to create content for them. And it'll be just like we saw in the 90s where there was a lot of hype, but not a lot of payoff. Okay, so I I maybe agree with maybe about 60% of what you said there. I, I don't think next year is the year for VR. I think it needs a year or two before it's really, really ready. And the thing why I think it won't die next year or then anytime soon is because there's Facebook behind Oculus. So there's a lot of money there. And they have a partnership with Samsung. And we both know that Samsung, know, they love to throw stuff against the wall until it sticks. And I don't think they're going to stop. I don't think any of those companies are going to stop until there's an actual working device out there because in the interim, Samsung has their Gear VR that allows you to take your select Samsung phones. It's not like an ad. And you put it in, in this like helmet so you can see these VR experiences. And I've gotten to try those out a couple of times and they're very good. Stuff like Google Cardboard, which makes it way cheaper and allows you to use pretty much any Android phone or pretty much any phone so you can see these VR experiences. And I think right now the experiences is what's holding it back because you're like, oh, wow, I'm in this virtual theater watching a movie. That's not really interesting. I can do that in my living room. So why am I bothering with this? It's to have the compelling content for that. So I just don't see a ton of products coming to market next year, even though they're supposed to. 
I just don't see it being gigantic, but I think it's not going to die off. And because of the rapid technology cycle when it comes to phones, I think it's really this combination of VR helmets as an accessory to your phone. That's really where this is. This idea that it'll work with video games. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a nice little, uh, niche for a while. But I think the mainstream adoption won't be for another like two years where people can just swap a phone in with really high res screens because this is actually when it becomes important. When that phone is right up against your eyes and you're seeing this, this double image, if it's low res, you're seeing like a screen door effect and it takes you out of it. And if you want to be in VR, you really have to be immersed, and that actually takes it out. And maybe one to two years, you'll have even the low-end phones with really high-res screens such that you won't have that problem. Yeah, to me, it's not so much the resolution of the screens that's the big issue. It's making sure that there's no latency uh, between your movements and what you see on those screens. Because I, I've, I've been in virtual – I've done virtual environment stuff where the graphics were pretty low-quality you know, it wasn't like photorealistic graphics or anything, but it was still a very compelling experience because of the the response of the system. So to me, that's the most important part is that the processor is able to handle the uh, the input of you moving your head around and seamlessly incorporate that into what you are looking at within the uh, context of the the view. I I don't know. I'm still very skeptical that uh, I I almost see VR following the same kind of path o sadness as the Microsoft Connect sensor, which had a lot of potential, but never got, like you were saying, it didn't have a lot of support. Like there were, there weren't a lot of really compelling reasons to use it. You could see what the potential was for it, but because those, those potentials never became reality, ultimately it's, not even included in most uh, bundles of Xbox hardware now. It's it's a peripheral that hardly anyone purchases or uses. And in fact, often updates to the Xbox user uh, experience, the, the user interface, will remove functionality from existing Kinect hardware. So that makes me think, well, I think VR may follow that same path where unless there are really compelling reasons to to use the technology, it doesn't matter how good the hardware is. Uh, so I don't think the hardware is going to necessarily all come out in 2016, and I don't think that there's going to be enough content to even support the really good stuff. And again, I hope I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, that's awesome, because I would love to have really great VR Um I don't think I could go so far as to outfit one of my rooms in my house with the the valve approach where you've got the cameras that are mounted up and you can actually wander around your room and it creates uh dynamic barriers so that you don't bump into stuff like your walls. <laughs> but you need a big room, empty room to do that in. I don't have that. So I don't I don't think I'll go that far, but if they can come up with something that really does uh, that's priced well, that works well with the, the devices, that actually works as a peripheral, uh, then I would be satisfied. I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, it's sad. A lot of the technologies we're talking about are really cool. They're extremely cool. 
it kind of reminds me of when the first tablets came out, the first tablet PCs. I'm like, this is a really cool idea, but there was a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. With the ultra mobile PCs, they were tiny little computers they can carry with you. Really cool idea. Execution not there. And I don't want to say this because if people will label me a fanboy. I'm very curious if, if an Apple approach would make it different because a lot of these products have been out there and they've been iterated upon. But what will it take for it to go, oh, that's amazing? Because Apple tried the watch thing and people aren't like blown away. Yeah. So the question is, what is it going to finally take? It, it, I don't know. If Apple can do it and make the headset look like a Daft Punk helmet, they got it made. Well, that also helps you when you're walking around. You're not, but when you bump your head into a telephone pole, you got protection. Right. And, and then raves just break out around you and it's, you know, kind of awesome. Uh, I like this idea. Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, it's my turn for the next one. So my next prediction is that the cable industry will see shrinking subscriber numbers again. So this year we saw some, some, uh, the cable companies, uh, cable television is what I'm talking about here. Cable television subscriptions were starting to go down. Uh, they were not able to add more consumers than they were losing. And there's a growing population of people who are never getting cable in the first place. So the people who are leaving cable, those of course are called the cord cutters. And there have been predictions for years that that population was going to explode. It hasn't grown at the speed that a lot of people had predicted, but there are more and more people who are uh, going that route. And then there are the cord nevers. These are the younger people, mostly, who are uh, who just never bother to sign up to cable in the first place. They get all their content some other way. Now, they might have a cable company as their Internet service provider, but they're not. They're not subscribing to cable television. I think 2016, we're going to see that trend continue. I don't think this is going to be like the tipping point where we suddenly uh, see cable subscriptions just drop off at a really sharp cliff. I don't think that's going to happen in 2016. But we are going to see the trend continue as it has already started. I think we've already experienced peak cable television in other words. And now we're on the decline. And this decline, you know, it's it's going to be significant, but it's not going to be a huge percentage of the overall population of cable subscribers. It's just not going to be a good story for cable companies to tell their shareholders. It's an interesting idea. I, I think you might be onto something, but I'm going to argue with you for the sake of arguing with you. Well, are you, you are you you do have training as a lawyer, so yeah. There, there was a time I'm a retired lawyer. There's a there's a it's an actual piece of mail that said so. Anyway, <laughs> let, let let me let me run this 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 scenario. There are so many different over-the-top solutions you can get when it comes to video. You can pay $15 a month for HBO. Mm-hmm. You can pay 9 bucks for, for stars, uh, 10 bucks for Showtime or whatever is $9.99. All of these things you can keep adding on, okay? And you're still paying your cable – sorry, your internet bill. When you start putting all the math together, at some point, these cable in, the cable industry needs to realize something. There is a tipping point where it is cheaper to just get that streaming pipe of garbage – where you're getting every single network and you have a DVR and potentially cloud DVR storage with certain uh, certain cable companies that it just makes more sense to have cable there's no there's not necessarily a network issue when it comes to oh we seem to have some congestion are you playing a video game is that why we're getting crappy streaming is that what's happening no 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 that doesn't happen with cable i really think if they brand this properly because we have so many options it's actually cheaper 
at some point to just get cable TV and people who are cord numbers might go, wait a second, that's cheaper. And I get all this other stuff and I get like, so why would I ever bother with all of these apps when I know I just have to change my input to HDMI two? It only, it only really works if the consumer really wants all that, that content that can only be available on different services, right? If they are satisfied with one or two services, then that's not going to, they won't, they won't find a compelling case to adopt cable television. Uh, if they're into live sports, that's the strongest sell that cable TV has, I would say. Like that's the, that's the biggest, uh, uh, attractive thing that, that cable TV can put, hold out in front of potential consumers. But if they think, well, there's this small group of programming that I'm really interested in. And if I get HBO Go, and if I get, uh, is it Go or Now? I guess it's HBO Now. Um, but if I get the HBO app and if I get the, uh, you know, Amazon Prime subscription, that's everything I need. And if I look at the basic cable service I'm getting and I add all that up and it's still going to be the same or less than what cable TV is, I'm just going to go with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that there is definitely a tipping point because if you're talking about more than that, especially when you factor in the cost of a, uh, internet service provider, which maybe if, if the ISP is the same as the cable company, you, you and I both know this. There will be, there will come up with bundles where it's cheaper to get the bundle than it would be just to get a single service. And at that, I mean, at that point, you're like, well, from a financial standpoint, it just makes sense for me to have cable TV in, even if I never hook up the cable box. That's exactly how I lived. I, I did that. I got my faster speed. It was cheaper. I just had this basic set-top box, which I never bothered to hook up. It just made more sense monetarily. So if the argument can be made by the cable companies, and this will require them to actually be trying to get consumers on board. That's the crazy thing. There are cable companies right now, at least even in New York, Time Warner Cable will give you a $10 option where you can get a limited bunch of of channels through a Roku that they provide you. And if you have any of the Rokus around the house, you can watch it that way. It's not the same functionality as a cable box. You're not getting all the same on-demand stuff. You're not getting uh, maybe all the channels. But if they're willing to do that, I don't see why they can't figure out, oh, by the way, it's cheaper if we do it this other way. Yeah. I I mean, I can see where your argument is. But however, the whole bundle thing and approach has been around for a while, and we're still seeing the trend of people getting away from cable. Some of that may just be due to customers who are fed up with cable companies, you know, and, and because not to name names, but one of the guys on this podcast is certainly fed up with his ISP and, and, and also, and, and would not blink an eye about going away from cable and just going straight to a different ISP and just getting internet service. Uh, that guy is not IS, by the way. Well, I'm not happy with my, my ISP either, <laughs> but that has, I, I'm, I'm more pleased with it now than I used to be. But yeah. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. Yeah. And a different podcast. So at any rate, uh, I, I think we're still going to see the trend continue. I, I do agree that cable companies have an opportunity to position themselves in such a way where they can make the argument that it makes more financial sense to be a cable subscriber than to go a la carte. But I, don't think it's going to be enough to reverse the trend. It may slow it, but I don't think it's going to reverse it. What's wrong with the buffet? 
That's 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 the tagline. Forget a la carte. <laughs> What's wrong with a buffet? Dim sum charge it gets really really expensive, but you can get a buffet. Yep. For n- <laughs> yeah, that's it's a hard sell. You know, I don't know. You eat at a few buffets and you start to realize what can be wrong with a buffet. That's why you don't eat at a buffet because like, the quality isn't very good. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that food's been sitting out there too long. <laughs> What's your next uh, prediction? Okay. Bold acquisition prediction. And the more I look at it, the more I think it's wrong. So now I'm going to stick to it anyway. Facebook's going to buy HTC. All right. So HTC for folks who have forgotten they exist, they make electronics. I, used to, I believe that HTC used to stand for high tech computer mm-hmm. um, or something like that. And uh, they've had trouble really regaining the dominance they used to have in the Android space. They were, I believe, the launch partner with Google when it came to the first H- the first Android phone. The little banana shaped looking phone. It was the, the G1. it was the first Android phone in the United States. I owned one. The G1, right? Yeah. The, the slider keyboard. Yep. So it was a, it was a really interesting idea and they did a great job skinning Android where it was a usable product because at the time Android was a little bit less than polished. Yeah. These days we've got Samsung, we've got LG trying to nip at the heels of Samsung, but Samsung is really the big dog in Android when it comes to just dominance. And, and, and Google itself has gotten better at skinning Android so that it is more user friendly and attractive. So even if you're going with the flagship Android phones, uh, that haven't had a lot of uh, additional stuff put on them by other carriers, it's still a lot better than what it used to be. Yeah, so Facebook's been trying to make some kind of headway into the phone space. They tried to have a couple of different phones that had like a Facebook dedicated button. I believe HTC might have made both of them. They had another phone that had Facebook Home, which I think was their launcher replacement when it came to using an Android phone. But Facebook has not had a lot of success when it comes to this kind of this kind of entry into the phone market. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking they're not just going to bother to make their own phone kind of like Apple did. What they would do is go out, purchase HTC. And the reason why I started hedging at the very beginning is like, well, HTC has a VR side to it with the HTC Vive. But now I'm realizing, wait a second, they could use that tech, those people and put them with the Oculus team. Or they could just spin them off and sell them off anyway. But there's a lot of money in Facebook. There's HTC sitting around kind of floundering. Why not? Facebook's not doing anything anyway. Uh, I have no argument one way or the other for this one. It is, uh, it, I could certainly see it happening. I mean, not if Facebook's also going to buy Yahoo. That's just too busy for 2016. So, uh, but that's okay. Cause I've already stated Microsoft's the one buying Yahoo. <laughs> So I, I don't have any argument here. I think you might be on to something. So with that, I'm just going to segue into the next one so that this episode doesn't go four hours. Sounds um, good. My next one is that this is another gimme. This I, I think this is probably the biggest gimme, just that we're going to see some uh, a lot more growth in online media. Uh, it, it, we're, we're already seeing it. I mean, we're seeing lots more interest in web series. We're seeing a lot more original programming from Amazon and from Hulu and Netflix. Uh, I think that's going to continue. Uh, we already know that these companies are going to be offering even more original content, but I think we're going to see that also from a lot more independent uh, creators. I think the real challenge of 2016 is going to be something that's already been tough in the past, but now it's going to be the defining challenge. It's going to be discovery. How do you get the thing that you pour your heart and soul into discovered by your audience. 
You know, it's not even necessarily for the independent creators. It may not even be a, a question of how can I get paid to do this? It may just be how can I make sure people see what I do so that I'm not just creating something and shoving it into the void and no one ever notices it. But I really do think we're going to see a lot more uh, experimentation in the space uh, because the fact that the Internet allows us to create content that does not have to conform to any particular length the way television shows do. We don't have to stick to the 22 or 44 minute format. We can make whatever links we want. I think we're going to see more content creators experiment with longer form content. But for the longest time, the message has been keep it short because people will drop off and stop watching your stuff after a, a minute or two minutes, you know, whatever the length happens to be. But I think that there are some properties out there that are proven if you make good stuff, people will stay and watch the whole thing. Yeah, you're going to have people drop off. That's always going to happen. Partly it'll happen because people will be like, well, I've, I've watched the beginning of this, but I need to pause it now because I have to go do something else. But I'll come back and pick up where I left off later. So I think we're going to see a lot more experimentation and just a lot more volume of online media. Uh, from all sorts of different parties. What do you think? I think I think you're pretty much right because the thing is making video content or making audio content, making content available or just creating it, that is, and making it available, both of those things are really, really easy nowadays. You can just grab a phone. You can do a recording. You can put it up on YouTube. You could Periscope. That's available for a little bit. You can do a live stream or video games. You can do pretty much anything at any time with a phone or your console. I mean, this stuff, this, this, the sharing stuff is right. I feel like an old man. The sharing stuff's built into the consoles. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But yes, there, this stuff's so simple to upload. And it used to be there was this larger barrier when it came to hosting space. Where am I going to put this 300 megabyte file for this, this 640 by 360 video? Where am I going to put this? Right. And there's all kinds of places that are, like, are just giving away all this space for free. Because there's all kinds of perhaps dastardly kind of things. Oh, oh we own all the stuff you made. Ha, 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 right. ha. Or, or whatever. Or we can earn money in some other way through the fact that you are providing content to our service. Exactly. You do the content. We can put ads on it. That's the way that's going to work. So it's it's so much easier than it's ever been. And the thing is with online media in general, this this world of online video in particular I'm thinking about, that's changed entirely. Like when – when we think originally about Netflix or when they started streaming a lot, there was just this catalog of, inf- of just lots of old video. Then there's this – it's actually essentially a network where they're having their own content being – what's the word I'm looking for here? Commissioned. Mm. So they're, getting, they're commissioning their own stuff. Same thing with all these other services, Amazon and even I think Sony's Crackle has its new ser- – it's got a new series. All of these different companies are looking for this. So I think it's only a matter of time before companies like that start commissioning even smaller people. They don't need to keep following the television model. There's nothing saying that something on Netflix has to be 44 minutes or 22 minutes. We're just kind of conditioned for that right now. Right. And I think what's happening, like you were talking about with cord nevers or cord cutters, this idea that there's no reason why you have to sit through certain parts of a video. You can just jump to where you want to go. Or you want to say, this is three minutes. It better be a dang good three minutes. But I still think... There's this learning curve that's going on right now of what is the optimal length of video? Because there's, there's no such thing. You go to a movie theater and you see a, a classic. It's going to be over two hours. 
Nobody's saying, well, Godfather Part 2, you know, there's going to be a lot of viewer drop-off. People are just going to walk out the theater (laughs) in the middle of it. It's like, you know what? If you have a compelling story, the timing isn't the problem. It's about coming up with a proper way to keep people engaged the whole time. So just a lot more experimentation because there's so many more creators who can get their voice out. But like you said, discoverability, that is very difficult. Yeah. It makes more sense for a company like, here you go, Netflix goes and buy Yahoo because they're like, okay, fine, we have a search engine. It's better now. Happy? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's truly tough. Like larger companies have more, more options, obviously. Like if you want to utilize social media and purchase, uh, advertising on social media to get your, your stuff out in front of more eyeballs, uh, then, that's great. But if you're a small independent creator, you might not have the budget to put toward that kind of marketing effort. And in that case, it just does become this challenge of how do I get this thing that I'm really proud of, that I think is high quality, that I think people will like if they see it. How do I get it so that people can actually find it? That's just going to be a continuing challenge. And anyone who figures out really cool ways to aggregate various content or point customers at stuff that they would already like, uh, they stand to make a killing. Like that could be a huge business if you can figure out a way of doing that and in a way that's transparent and not underhanded, right? Not like, okay, I made deals with these 10 content creators and I'm going to keep pushing them to all of my customers and nobody else gets seen. That's probably not going to work. But if you can create a service where you really can aggregate stuff sort of similar to like YouTube, the way they, that YouTube presents videos that you might also like based upon your past viewing experience, something along that, but better. <laughs> Cause I, I think YouTube, I, I keep seeing the same videos pop up under suggestion. And I'm like, I haven't clicked on it yet. YouTube today is not the day either. <laughs> well, you, I mean, the thing is it used to be YouTube was horrible at that. Yeah. Now it's a little bit better. And then eventually they'll figure out. Yeah. We, we get the hint that there should be a button, like take a hint. Well, I think we've reached the point of the podcast where we go into kind of the quick fire mode. Uh, I know you've got a couple of quick fire things you wanted to mention. So why don't you go ahead and start? And then I've got some questions for both of us to kind of mull over. And also for people out there listening, for you guys to mull over, maybe you come up with an answer that is different from ours and you want to share it. I welcome that kind of opportunity. So shoot, Ayaz. All right, rapid fire predictions for 2016. The Nintendo NX, its next system will be good. Agree, disagree? <laughs> uh, it has to be good. Okay. If it, if it's not good, that's really not good for Nintendo. Apple will finally let you set default apps on iOS. No, Apple will create default iOS apps and tell you that you like them. That's, that's what I they do now. Wish, wishful thinking. <laughs> and we are going to see a Battery tech breakthrough next year. Either it's going to be fuel cells in phones and that's going to be like going to happen or we're going to have something that has like 20,000 milliamp hours. I would love to see this. This is one of those where you're starting to run up against the challenge of physics. You know, there's only so much you can do with electrochemical batteries. Fuel cells are an interesting idea, but you have to keep refueling them. Uh, I, I, I hope that this is the case. I know there's been a lot of work with various uh, nanomaterials that have really increased the uh, the the t- 
time that a battery will hold a charge as well as decrease the amount of time it takes to charge it up to full. Like we keep hearing stories about this battery can recharge in, in 30 seconds to 100% power. Downside is after 10 cycles, it's dead. <laughs> so I'm ho- I'm hoping that it does happen. That's what I've got. Okay, well, rapid fire. here are some rapid fire questions. Okay, uh, this one, I think, I think I know what your answer is going to be because I think it's going to be the same as mine, but maybe you'll surprise me. Will we see a truly autonomous car debut in 2016 for the con- consumer? No. I also think that's no. We- Not in the U.S. anyway. I agree. I think if we do see any autonomous cars, we're going to continue to see them, pun intended, rolled out in a, uh, uh, in a in a way where it's going to be used for a very specific use case, but not for general transportation. Not yet. Not in 2016. Okay. Do you think there are any companies that are poised to have a big shakedown at the executive level? Something where maybe we see uh, a CEO ousted or some other massive restructuring. Uh, major companies, or just saying you're asking for companies. Well, major companies would probably be the the one I would look at. But yeah, if there's any, like, you, hey, yeah, you know, there's this uh, pizza place I go to. <laughs> I think I think Peppers and Johnny's is just fine. But I think HTC. I keep saying HTC mm-hmm. because they're they're in the muck. And uh, otherwise, why not BlackBerry? They seem to shuffle. That's a yeah. That's a pretty good bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with those. Okay, so how about, do you think there are any tech bubbles that are ready to pop? Something that has been overhyped to the point where in 2016, it's going to deflate entirely. I think maybe terminology like the Uber of X yeah. will go away, because I'm tired of the, it's the Uber of dog walkers. It's like, okay. It's like how we, all action movies became, it's Die Hard on a blank. On a boat. Yeah. Right. Or on a train. I agree with that. I also think things like uh, the food delivery services, it's gotten really kind of crowded in that space. That's that's related to tech, obviously. It's not exactly tech. It's in that weird, like, usually you use an app to interact with it. So that's kind of why I lumped it in here. I do think that those are, at least some of those are going to go away. It's really hard to do that in a profitable way because you're spending so much time just going out and getting the food not even including the time it takes to take the food from the location to the destination, the con- the consumer, that finding a way to charge for that service that isn't prohibitively expensive and still pay the people who work for you is really hard. Now, in robots, when autonomous cars do roll out, <laughs> it'll be easy. But right now, not so much. Um, do you think... Any technology is going to officially become dead in 2016. Something that, all right, no one is is seriously pushing this technology anymore. We're walking away. You know, you might still see it on store shelves somewhere, but no one's no one's advertising it. No, because everything I think that should be dead is not dead. Like MP3 players are not dead. Smart TV apps are not dead. They are getting better. Smart TV apps, yeah, but they don't die. They just kind of become a bullet point on a list a smaller uh, just just a, a an item for a smaller niche market i guess uh I'm thinking. i would love to see 3d television just not even be mentioned anymore maybe like have it on as a bullet list on a television box just says it's 3d capable but uh 3d television was one of those products that the industry really pushed really hard and it never really got anywhere because 
for multiple reasons. I think a big one being that the, the content wasn't really there. There wasn't enough yet when they started pushing 3D TVs. And also the old saying that everyone who, who winces at the thought of 3D televisions brings up, no one wants to have to wear glasses to watch television or an additional pair of glasses in the case of some of us. I think the only successful wearable in the history, other than wearing glasses, wearable technology that we actually wear and nobody seems to blink an eye at is earbuds and earphones. Yeah. We're okay with that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I agree. All right. So do you think the Facebook professional services platform will be a success? I had to look this up because I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> uh, but what, it, what, what I found out it was, it's kind of like Yelp and I think it'll be a sneaky success maybe in a year or two. I don't know if it'll be a success next year right away, but Facebook needs to be able to explain what it is because sometimes that search feels like, do you want to see pictures of Jonathan or do you want to find a pizza place? It's like, yeah, what am I, what am I doing on Facebook exactly? Yeah. Well, and Facebook professional services, the idea is to like Facebook has reached such penetration that it's going to be really hard for them to grow from that perspective, right? I mean, once you hit a billion users, it really does start to get hard to make that number get noticeably bigger. Meanwhile, you've got stakeholders who expect the company to grow. So expanding by creating a, a platform that businesses might be able to use. And uh, there, we've seen some components already launched. There's a, a Facebook professional message app that launched on Android uh, earlier this year. I haven't used it. I have no idea if it's good or not. I don't know if this is going to become the new tool for businesses so that, you know, this becomes like a new productivity communications tool, kind of like something like Slack is. Uh, but then I'm also at the age where I don't really understand the value of Slack. So maybe I'm the wrong person to answer this question in the first place. Uh, I do know that whenever I open up Slack, I question why I'm on it. <laughs> I'm like this. I remember when this was Google Wave, and nobody wanted it back then. Um, it's got a better. It's got a better branding. It's okay, I guess. Although it's not Google. Yeah. All right. So this next question, I, I'm going to to recuse Ayaz for answering it because uh, uh, he's not as big into the computer games as I am. But the question I wrote was, will the Star Citizen game actually come out in 2016? Now, first of all, Ayaz, have you heard of the game Star Citizen? Just now. Okay, so Star, Star Citizen was a crowdfunded or is a crowdfunded game that raised a ludicrous amount of money, like 70 or 80 million dollars, a crazy amount of money for a crowdsourced game. And part of the game, a large part of the game involves flying spaceships around in this enormous space environment within the game. And you purchase with real money your spaceships like you can you can use i think there's some that are just standard with the game but they're very limited in their capabilities uh but you can spend real money and i'm talking in the hundreds of dollars in some cases to buy a little virtual spaceship that has different capabilities and then you you own that it's like in your hangar and you get that's one of the ships you can use and that's one of the ways that they've raised so much money is by selling this virtual spacecraft stuff and there are some limited uh, programs that let you fly your spaceship around, but the actual game hasn't come out yet. And it, it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And the official announcement is that it will come out sometime in 2016. Most people are expecting in the fourth quarter. So at the end of 2016, 
I am skeptical that it will come out. My fear, not that I'm invested in this game. I haven't purchased it. I don't own a spacecraft in this game. But my fear is that it'll become sort of like uh, Duke Nukem Forever, where you have a game that's been in development for quite some time. And as they're working out the bugs and making the game just work, stuff changes enough where they want to update what they've already done in order to take advantage of new capabilities that are in computers, which then pushes the actual debut back even further. And this continues until ultimately you just have to throw your arms up in the air and say, we just have to put something out. And I, I fear 2016 will not be that year that it'll slip to 2017 if it comes out at all. Um, based, based on what you said and what I've learned, no, it will not come out. <laughs> and, and if it does, that's awesome, especially for the people who have spent so much money. Uh, there's another podcaster that I listened to who has spent, I think, close to $900 on a computer game that isn't out yet. $900 on a computer game, Iaz. You could have a gaming rig for that. Yeah, you could buy an arcade machine for that. Not one of the good ones, but you could. Um, and then final question. I think this is the most important one out of all the ones. Do you think Star Wars Rogue One, the first Star Wars spinoff film, will be any good? Any good? Sure. <laughs> will you go see it? Probably. Yeah. I'll, I'll go see it. I'm, I'm seeing Star Wars the, the, tonight, the day we record this on December 17th. I'm seeing it tonight, so. Finally going to see uh, The Force Unleashed, uh, or Awakened, rather. The Awakened. Force Awakened. It might be Unleashed. It could be. If they put The Force on a leash, it's going to break free. It'll be Unleashed. Right, but again, yeah. it's got to be woken up first. That's true. It does have to wake up first. It's been asleep for like, you know. I guess that's how you get a leash on it. I guess. That's true. It's, you can sneak up on The Force while it's sleeping, leash it, it wakes up, Unleashed. Force Awakens is what I meant. Um, yeah, so that I'm going to see that tonight. I expect, I, I actually don't know how I feel about the idea of Star Wars spinoff movies because part of me is less interested because it does not relate to the overall story arc of episodes one through nine and maybe beyond if they decide to continue, which it's Disney. They're going to continue. Um, but. You know, and it also makes me worried that's going to turn into something like the Marvel franchises, which have gotten a little too crowded, I think. I think we're getting a few too many Marvel movies per year now. That's impossible. I can't wait for Disney to finally have a crossover between Star Wars and Spider-Man. It's, actually, they do have rights to Spider-Man. But they could do a crossover at some point, and it could happen, and we will be horrified when it happens. Yeah. When, but I'll go see it. When, when, when Iron Fist shows up at the cantina and – yeah. That would be you, wait. Well, that's that's crazy. You need a time traveler or somebody who's been around forever. It has to be like Apocalypse. Actually, Apocalypse is not usable because he's in Fox. Wait, You're gonna have to use Doctor Strange. Silver Surfer. Doctor Strange. Okay. Doctor you can't Strange use Sil- maybe- You can't use Silver Surfer. He's with Fantastic Four. Oh my gosh, he's stuck. Yeah. Oh no. He's over with oh. Sony. This is very depressing. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna devolve into a discussion about where which Marvel properties belong to which movie studios. So, with that in mind, Ayaz, thank you so much for joining me and sticking your neck out with mine to predict what will happen in 2016. Keeping in mind some of these may be true or false before the episode even airs. Where can people go to find out all about the stuff you do? Well, the 
Best place to go is Twitter. If you go to twitter.com slash IAZ, that's I-Y-A-Z. That's where you find me promoting things shamelessly. Or you go to CNET.com. It's this little website that's got a huge amount of people putting together awesome content. It's not just me. You should go there. Or you should go to GFQNetwork.com because I do a couple of shows there. With uh, One of them is with Jonathan. Yeah, surprisingly. that's true. Yeah, so thank you again, IAS guys. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments on the predictions we made or any predictions of your own that you would like to share, please send them in to me. My email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter. The handle at all three is techstuffhsw. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 